I want to begin today's message by asking you a question on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, are you a joyful person? I want you to think through that. And I want to pull back the curtain here just for a moment. It's not easy to do this, but I want to be transparent with you. But I want to pull back the curtain. Many people who serve in ministry lack joy. I would encourage you to think about this. Have you lost the joy of his salvation? And if you serve in ministry, have you lost the joy of his call in your life? I remember talking to a pastor one day, and he talked about when God called him into ministry and God called him to a very specific assignment, and he was there, and he said he remembered getting on his knees and face before God and saying, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm willing to follow you wherever you'll lead, and Lord, will you use me to change the world? And then he said he realized one day that joy was gone in his life and ministry because he said he woke up one day and realized this. How could he change the world when he couldn't even change the thermostat in the sanctuary at church? And he couldn't do it. Well, the good news, folks, I don't even know where the thermostat is at here, so, so I can't change it either way. And I don't even know where many of the light switches are, by the way, either. I got a call the other night from one of the leaders at Samaritan's Purse. They were trying to go to bed and they were in the gym and said, where are the light switches to turn the lights off? And I said, I have no idea. Never turned them on, never turned them off. So I had to get help in the midst of that. But do you have the joy of salvation, but do you also have the joy of ministry? The other day, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Orlando, Florida, and I love to watch people. And so I'm at the airport getting ready to fly back home, and I'm in the concourse, and I'm just observing, walking, getting some steps in, looking at people. And let me just give you a few things. This is just a short span of time of situations that I came across in the Orlando airport. Uh, one of them was I saw this uh, young lady. She was autistic, and she was having a very difficult morning in the Orlando airport, and she finds herself on the floor of the airport in a concourse. Her mother is there, but what was so moving to me was, and I knew she was not in trouble, and other people knew that, but her dad was on the floor with her in the concourse. And he was comforting her and consoling her and helping her. And I just stood from a safe distance because I didn't want them to think I was just watching them. But it was a moment for me that I could just worship the Heavenly Father because I thought, Heavenly Father, there are days that we find ourselves on the floor. And I'm thankful that you are a Heavenly Father who on the floor with us, God with us. I'm thankful for that. And so I, I left that situation and walked just a few steps more and hadn't got too far. And I don't know if this was a husband or wife, but it was a man or woman. And they were having a very heated disagreement in front of God and everybody in the Orlando airport. The words they used were, were painful. And, and I'll just say, when I hear couples arguing and disagreeing and in and, and such tension. When I see that and hear that, it just affects me to no end. And I felt for that couple to think you're having an extremely difficult morning today. And so I walked down the concourse and got to the gate where I was going to be flying. So I'm sitting in a seat, actually writing a funeral message I was coming home to do. And so I'm sitting there and there was another young man who came down the concourse 
and he was on his phone, and, and I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but he was talking so loud, I could only hear one side of the conversation, but here's what I knew from his conversation. He was on the phone with his dad, and he was trying to justify his life with his dad. And I could tell you this, because I heard one side of the conversation, his life was not in a good place. And then from there, I took some more steps, and planes continued to come into the Orlando airport and people deplaned and I saw family after family getting off the plane and you know they were going to Disney and they hadn't even got out of the concourse of the airport yet and the kids were screaming and crying. They were miserable and parents were saying we spent a lot of money to come here. You're going to have fun in this city <laughs> and, and I thought if they're crying now what's it going to be like somewhere down the road when they get to Disney? We've been there. We've seen that. And so when I think about those situations, this autistic young lady and this couple that was having a heated disagreement in front of everybody, and then this young man whose life was not in a good place, and then these families who are wanting to have fun, but sometimes it's just hard to have fun. Where's the joy at in life? And here's what I can tell you. According to God's word, when you look at John's gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he can devour. But that's what the Word of God says. And here's what I can tell you. We are in a battle, and there are some things in life you and I are going to have to fight for. Do you understand that? We're going to have to fight for some things. Let me give you some examples to that. When it comes to your character and integrity, you may look weird in the eyes of the world, but you're going to have to fight for your character and integrity because the enemy wants to destroy your character and destroy your integrity. But, but your character and integrity are worth fighting for. When it comes to your marriage and family, you're going to have to fight for your marriage. You're going to have to fight for your family. When I'm doing counseling with couples and, and I'm with them and they've been going through some issues and I ultimately get to the point to say, are both of you willing to fight for your marriage? If one of them says yes and one says no, we still have issues. But there's hope when a couple says, in the grace of God, I'm willing to fight and I'm willing to fight. Let's fight together to save our marriage. Maybe it's a prodigal son, prodigal daughter. Are you willing to fight for that relationship? Your son, daughter, living away from the Lord, living away from how you raised him or her, are you willing to fight for that relationship? I'll never forget hearing Dr. Charles Stanley, who's in heaven now, but talk about his relationship with his son, Andy. There was a period that relationship was severely strained. But Dr. Stanley, I remember him saying, sitting down with Andy in a restaurant and said, you are my son and I'm going to fight for our relationship. Some things you just got to fight for in life. When it comes to the unity of this church, you and I need to be willing to fight for the unity of this church. Every hill in the life of the church is not worth dying on, but when it comes to the unity of God's people, because when you look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, you see perfect unity. He wants us, according to John 17, he wants us to be in unity as well. The unity of God's people is always worth fighting for. And then let me just say to us on this Sunday, when it comes to the joy of, your, of his salvation and the joy of your life and the joy of serving in ministry, joy is always worth fighting for. 
You don't have to fight for everything. But if you're going to have joy, meaning Jesus, others, and yourself, it is worth fighting for. Now, I want you to write this down. It's not on the outline, but I want you to write this down. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was watching the evening news, and they were talking about Williamson County, which is south of Nashville, and they were talking about how many break-ins there were in Williamson County. People were breaking in and stealing stuff. Well, I want you to know again, the thief says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the Word of God says about him. And if he can steal the joy of your life, if he can rob you of your joy, he will do so. Now, I want you to write these words down because sometimes they are joy robbers in the Christian life. First one is Satan. That's what I just talked about. He's a thief. He's an adversary. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He would love to take the joy of your relationship with Jesus away from you. Let me give you a second word. It's the word sin. David was a man after God's own heart, but what did he do? He sinned against Bathsheba. He committed murder to cover it up, and then all of a sudden one day, Nathan shows up at his house and says, David, you are the man. His sin had found him out. And what is David praying in Psalm 51? He's confessing his sin, and he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sin had taken away the joy of the Lord's salvation in his life, and David is crying out to God, asking for joy to be restored. Sin will steal the joy of your relationship with the Lord and others. Let me give you another one. People. There's some people. If, if you let them into your circle and have influence in your life, they can steal the joy of your relationship with Christ and what it means to walk with him. There's some people who are just joy robbers. They know how to do that. Let me give you another word. It's the word comparison. If you live your life comparing yourself to everybody else around you, you keep looking this way, this way, this way, and you're comparing yourself to one another, you may find yourself lacking joy in the Christian life. We should never compare ourselves to other people. Learn from people, be mentored by people, grow in relationship to people, but we don't have to compare. Be the person God's called you to be. Use your giftedness. Use your personality. Use what the Lord has done in your life to be who you are. You don't have to compare yourself to other people. Be who you are because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Let me give you another word, entitlement. You want to steal the joy, you see it gone, you'd find yourself entitled. I think about Luke chapter 17. Jesus healed 10 people of leprosy, but how many came back and gave thanks? Only one. And if you're not careful, we will live with this entitlement personality and mentality and perspective to say, we deserve this, we, we, it's our rights. No, 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 it's the grace of God in our lives. He's good to you and me. He is a good, good father. Let me give you another word, it's the word shame. Many times we find joy missing in our lives because of shame. We say, God could never, in, in relationship to your life or my life, and we fill in the blanks. Don't ever minimize the greatness and the grace of God in a Christian life. God forgives sin. Your failures are not final. God can still use you. God is at work in your life. He's at work in our church. Let's make sure again that we don't allow the enemy to, to captivate us with this idea that we're shameful in some way. No, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He loves us. He gave Jesus for us. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to walk with him. You can find joy, but I just encourage you. There are thieves out there. 
the, the thief, yes, but other thieves who want to steal the joy of your life away. And I just encourage you, make sure as, you, as we come to Philippians chapter 2 and you see what Paul is saying in this hymn, think about how can you have the joy of Christ in your life where you make sure the priority of your life is Jesus. You also are concerned about other people and then yourself comes in after that. So on your outline, write these blanks down here. Number one, approach Christmas with a servant's attitude. Do you see yourself as a servant? Because in Philippians 2, what this talks about Jesus he did not consider equality a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus was a servant. Can you imagine leaving heaven and coming to this earth and washing the crusty feet of his disciples? In John 13, Jesus served. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Apostle Paul, so many others, understood themselves as being servants of Almighty God. Are you a servant? Mr. Leonard Bernstein, one time, he was directed the New York Philharmonic Orchestra for many, many years after a performance was doing a Q&A with some people. And they asked him, that this amazing conductor, they said, what is the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? And Bernstein didn't even have to give any thought to it. He said, well, it's second violin. And they said, why would you say that? He said, well, I can find plenty of people to play first violin, but to find somebody who can play second violin with as much passion and enthusiasm as the first violin, he said, that is difficult to do. And Leonard went on to say, but if we don't have anyone playing second violin, then we don't have any harmony. Are you willing again to be a servant in life? Say, Lord, you, you saved me to serve. I want to give you these words. I want to encourage you to write these down. If you're going to be a servant, if you're going to approach this Christmas with a servant and see joy in your life, write these. One is care. As you look at your life, Jesus cared for people. He left heaven and he came to this earth. Why? Because he cared for people. What the Father wanted to do, but also the cares of people. I pray you'll live your life with eyes open and hands ready so that you can serve and meet the cares of other people in life. Second word is connect. Aren't you grateful that he left heaven and he came to this earth and took on human flesh in Bethlehem as we see in Philippians chapter 2 and he connected with you and me. He didn't live in isolation. He didn't only relate with the royalty people. He related with every single person. He came to connect with people. I pray in your life you will value relationships in your life family, church family, other people in your workplace, in your school. Make sure you connect with people because relationships matter. Jesus came to give his life for us because he wants a relationship with you and me. Number three is the word champion. Jesus used other people. He called disciples. They came and followed him. He made them fishers of men. He was a champion at saying, I want to put you on a platform that you can be used of the heavenly father to build his kingdom. You and I need to make sure that we champion other people. We give them opportunities to grow. We give them opportunities to serve. We give them opportunities to have gospel conversations. We champion using other people in the gospel ministry. Word number four is the word comfort. Jesus, again, took on human flesh, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He did that. Why? That he would comfort you and me. Almighty God is the God of all comfort. And so as he comforts us, he wants us to comfort other people. I believe in this room, and I believe there are people who are watching, you know what it's like to lose a child. God can use you to comfort other people. 
There are people in this room, those you're watching, you know what it's like to hear the doctor say you have been diagnosed with cancer and to walk through that cancer journey. God can use you to comfort somebody else with the comfort that you've received. There's people in this room know what it's like to lose a job. You know what it's like to have divided, strained relationships. You know what all those things are like. God wants to use you to comfort other people, but you must approach Christmas with a servant's attitude. It's not about me. It's not what I'm going to get. No, how can I serve? And then number five is commit. And what that means is Jesus left heaven... He came to this earth in Bethlehem. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a, of a servant. He became obedient, even to, obedient to the point, even to death on a cross. He gave his life for us. He committed to do the Father's will. You and I need to live life, Christmas, but all year long, making sure that we are committed to doing the Father's will in the Christian life. And I can promise you this. When you get to the point to say, Father, I'm committed to do your will. My yes is on the table. I'll do anything you ask me to do. I just promise you it is not going to be convenient. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy, but it will be wonderful for you to live in the center of the will of God for your life. And so Jesus, what did he do? He left heaven. He came to this earth, took on human flesh. What did he do? He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, your will be done, not mine. And that meant death, crucifixion on a cross. Jesus was willing to do that because he was committed. And here's, church, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm convicted. If you're going to have joy in your life, you must approach Christmas, but I would say approach every day of life with a servant's attitude. It's not about who's going to serve me. How can I serve him? How can I serve other people? Here's the thing I would ask you. Now go back to Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, writing here, he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What an amazing statement. Paul says, my desire is I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you desire to know him that way? Do you desire to live with him that way? Last night before I ever closed my eyes and went to sleep, I just said to the Lord, and I do this many nights as well, to say, Lord, before I go to sleep tonight, I want you to know how much I love you. When I get up in the morning, or many days, Angie and I are praying together every morning, But in my own relationship, my own prayer time with him, I say, Lord, what a joy it is to spend this day with you again. Do you want to relate with him that way? Lord, I go to bed loving you. I get up in the morning excited to spend the day with you. And let me ask you this. If all the stuff of this life, and it can happen, if all the stuff of this life was stripped away from you, it was gone, you didn't have any of the material stuff this world was offering, Let me ask you this question. Would Jesus Christ be enough for you? It was the Apostle Paul. My desire is to know him. And I pray you and I can say if all the stuff of this world just disappears one day, in the blink of an eye, we'd still say, Jesus, you are enough. Why? Because I'm a servant of yours and you saved me. Approach Christmas with a servant's attitude. Number two, enjoy Christmas with a relaxed grip. 
you are going to go through life, you're going to have to have a relaxed grip. Just look at your hands for a second. Here's what I can tell you from my life and being around many people over the years. If we're not careful just by, by nature, we can be clutchers. We just like to clutch stuff. I've got a powerful position, so I want to clutch it. I've got a lot of world possessions. I want to clutch those things. I've got a prominent position. I've climbed the ladder of success. At the top of that ladder, I want to clutch those positions. But somewhere, according to Philippians chapter 2, if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have the same mind that he had, then we're going to have to live life, enjoy Christmas with a relaxed grip. Instead of the clutching stuff, we're going to have to let it, let it go. Lord, I let power go. I let possessions go. I let positions go. Lord, I let those things go because I want to live like Jesus with a relaxed grip. You've got to realize he left heaven and he came to this earth. He descended. That's the first word on the outline, descend. He was willing to descend. How many of us want to climb, but how many of us are willing to descend? Jesus was willing to descend. Can you imagine leaving the splendor of heaven for the smells of a stable? Can you imagine leaving the golden streets of heaven for the dusty roads of Galilee? Can you imagine hearing the angelic chorus praising God and coming to this earth and hearing the cries of people? Can you imagine leaving heaven where you're exalted to come to this earth where you're going to be executed, crucified on a cross? Can you imagine doing that? But Jesus did that. He left a company of angels for the company of people. He was willing to descend. And then sometimes there'll be religious groups who'll knock on the door or you'll see them out in life and, and somewhere in the city. And I love to have conversations with those religious groups because I always ask them two questions. And here's the two questions. One, who is Jesus? Because they will not say he is the son of God, savior of the world. They will not say he is God. They will say he's less than God. Do you understand? Jesus Christ is no vice president to God. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ is God. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Who is Jesus? But also ask him this, how does a person have a relationship with God? And they will always say it is Jesus plus something else. And you and I know from the word of God where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ and him alone. You're not saved by good works, religious deeds, church affiliation. You are born again because of Jesus. He was willing to descend. Number two is decide. Somewhere you've got to make a decision, how am I going to relate to Jesus? I mean, he left the glories of heaven. He took on human flesh in Bethlehem in a stable. He did not stay there. He was, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, gave his life, victorious over death in the grave. The tomb is empty, still empty to this day. He ascended back to the Father where one day Jesus is coming again. How are you going to relate with him? How are you going to love him? Jack and Mary Benny. Uh, Jack was a shy young man, and when he was in school, he saw this young girl in school named Mary, and he wanted to ask her out, but he was just too shy to do so. And so Jack just came up with a plan. He thought, well, I'm going to send her a red rose and, uh, and just see how she responds. 
So he contacted the florist, and so he sent her a red rose. The florist came to her door, and she opened the door, and here's a rose for you. And she opened up the card, just said, from Jack. Well, that went on for 10 days in a row. Every day, the florist came to the house with a red rose from Jack. And so one day, Mary thought, well, I believe that's Jack Benny who's doing that. And so she sees Jack one day at school, and she asked him, are you the one who keeps sending me the red roses? And Jack said, that, that is me. And she said, why are you sending me these roses? And he said, well, I think you're pretty. And he said, I'd really like to ask you out, but I've been too shy to do so. So I thought I might get your attention by just sending you red roses. And she said, well, Jack, if you want to ask me out, just ask me out. And so Jack said, Mary, would you want to go out with me? And she said, absolutely, I want to go out with you. So they started their dating relationship. Every day in their dating relationship, Floris would come to the door. There'd be a red rose delivered. The card would just say from Jack. Every day. They got engaged. Every day of their engagement, Floris would come to the door. Every day from, from Jack. Jack and Mary joined their lives together in marriage, and every day of their marriage, Floris would come to the door every single day. Every day, come to the door. Here's, here's your red rose for the day. Just a card from Jack. Jack developed some health issues, and he passed away. And, and so after the funeral, Mary comes home, and she goes into the house, and she's getting some things together. And all of a sudden, the doorbell rang again. She goes to the door. It's the florist. And he, and he says, here's your red rose for the day. She opens a card from Jack. And so she says to the florist, she says, I don't guess you heard the news. Mr. Benny passed away, and I don't guess you'll need to come here anymore. And the florist said, Ms. Benny, I don't think you understand. Jack just didn't make preparation for you to get a red rose every day while he was alive. He's made preparation for you to get a red rose from him every day as long as you live. And on the kind of the final card, just said, I want you to know on this earth, Jack said to Mary, no one will ever love you like I love you. What about people in your life? What about Almighty God? What about the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you love him? Here's how much he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8. Here's how much God loves you and me. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. What Paul say? Want to know Christ power of his resurrection. He wants to love him. Look at number three, celebrate Christmas with a surrendered life. You're going to have to surrender your life to him. Let me give you these three statements here. Number one, expect tough people. Uh, you're going to be around some tough people and they, they don't want to see you loving the Lord. They don't want to see you having joy and, and salvation or ministry. You're just going to be around some tough people. That's why you got to have tender heart and thick skin. Number two, endure painful seasons. I promise you, life is painful at times. Life is hard. Can I get a witness on that? Life is so hard. There are times that will drive you to your knees, and the only thing you can do is surrender your life to him and say, oh, Heavenly Father, I don't know what to do. I need help. Life is hard. So you're going to endure painful seasons. Number three, you embrace sacrificial love. How much he loved you so much that he gave his life for you. When I think about the book of Philippians, here's what moves me. 
The book of Philippians, four chapters long, is known as the book of joy. And you say, well, that's, that's a nice title. That, that's great. But you have to realize when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Philippians, where was he at? He was not at the Ritz-Carlton, some major city. He was not on a beachside resort somewhere. He was in a jail cell. And even though he's in a jail cell, he still wants to know Christ, still wants to know the power of the resurrection. It is the book of joy because over 40 times in four chapters, what is he doing? He's talking about Jesus. How did Paul in a jail cell... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write Philippians, known as the book of joy. How did he do that? He never took his eyes off Jesus. When you look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, what is it? Turn about servants. Servants of who? Of Christ Jesus. Jesus is in the first verse of Philippians 1. When you look at the last chapter of Philippians, chapter 4, what is that last verse? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul never got over the grace of God. He never got over Jesus. He never took his eyes off the Son of God and Savior of the world. And how did he maintain joy in a jail cell? Because he turned his eyes upon Jesus. He looked into his wonderful thing, his face, and the things of this earth grew strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. It was Jesus and his life. And here's the thing. If you and I come to Jesus then we're going to be loving other people. We're going to be sacrificial. We're going to be generous. Why? Because in Hebrews chapter 12, what does it say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He gave. Angie and I were having dinner two weeks ago now with Ryan and Chris Colmas at Cracker Barrel. Anybody like Cracker Barrel? So we were having dinner there and young lady came to our table serving us. We got her name and just conversation. Are you from Clarksville? Yes. Do you go to Austin P? Yes. What are you studying? And here's what it is. And then we're going to pray. Is there a way we can pray for you? And we just continue that conversation. And then we invite her to come to church here. We say, we'd like to invite you to come to First Baptist Church. We're downtown. And she said, well, I never get to go to church on Sundays. I have to be here. And I think she said at 1030 in the morning. I said, it must be difficult to work on Sundays. And then I came back with a statement. I said, I hope on Sundays, you probably have a lot of church people who come to Cracker Barrel. And I said, I hope they're kind and generous to you. Here's what she said. I just quoted. I said, I hope they're kind and generous to you. And she said, they are not. Then she followed up with this statement. It's the hardest day of the week for us to work. Because she said the church people are rude, they're cheap, and they're hard to please. My brothers and sisters in Christ, that should not be. That should not be. We should be the kindest. We should be the, the most generous and we should be the most joyful people on the planet. Why? Because of Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy for you and me, we ought to be generous, sacrificial. He loved us. We should love him and love other people. Once we bow our heads together this morning, we're going to pray. And I want to encourage you in this room or those who are watching, 
If you're going to have joy, Jesus must be first in your life. He must be the priority of your life. I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Not just about him. Do you know him? Do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as Lord? Do you know him as forgiver? Do you know him as best friend? Do you know him as healer? Do you know him as a brother who sticks closer than a brother? Do you know him that way? I want to encourage you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, I'm appealing to you. I'm pleading with you. By the Holy Spirit's conviction and power, surrender your life to Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender. Give it to him. You don't know what's going to happen the rest of this day, tomorrow. Surrender your life to Jesus. Say yes to his invitation. Come to him and let him save you and change you. If you need to do what David did this morning, you know Christ, but you've never stood publicly in the baptismal waters and say, I want to obey the leadership of Christ. Make that decision today. We'd love to see you baptized on Christmas Eve or another Sunday in 2024, but obey the leadership of Jesus. If you need to join the fellowship of this church, walk down one of these aisles and say today, we need to be a part of this family. We want God to use us in this church. The joy is missing in his salvation in your life. The joy is missing in your service for him. Maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, will you restore the joy of your salvation in my life? Will you restore the joy of your call on my life? God, I need joy again. Or maybe you just need to come and pray for somebody else who's living away from him. And you want to see that person come back home to him. He welcomes prodigals to come home. And maybe you're a prodigal in this room or watching and you need to come home or maybe it's someone in your family, someone you know. You just need to get on your knees and your face and just say, Lord, over the next number of days as we get together as family or whatever it may be, Lord, I'm praying for some people who need to come back to you. And you pray that way. Because all to Jesus I surrender. Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning. And Lord, thank you that Jesus surrendered everything for us. And as an invitation in this divine moment, I pray that we will surrender everything to you. We'll live with a relaxed grip. We'll stop clutching and we'll release. We'll surrender. We'll trust you. And Father, thank you for our pastoral team. Thank you for our prayer warriors. Thank you that we are here to serve you and to help people. And we're seeking to bring people to you, not to us, but to you in this room or somewhere around the world. And Father, we leave the results to you and be glorified in this invitation. As you have surrendered to us, we surrender now to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.